0: So tonight, I'd like to explore with you uh, what um, is uh, really basic in the sense of the three characteristics uh, of existence, uh, plus what is known as the uh, subtle characteristics of existence. So, uh, one of the... As I say, one of the ways I, I put myself together to uh, explore material for a talk is to write something down which uh, sort of frames my uh, willingness to hang out with the material. Let's say, let's say, use that. So, it's called The Many Layers. balanced on the pinhead, falling to one side, grasping thin thought, dragging along in this river of time. Last night, sunset, lighting up the silhouette of the yogis, glued to a moment in time. Where did you learn to say that sunset was better than this? Who taught you this was a solid world? Who taught you holding on tighter would work? Who taught you, you of all people, to be so special, defying the laws of birth and death? Clouds are covering the sun today. But does that mean the sun is not shining? So there are these uh, three characteristics, which as we sit here and practice and Uh, in essence, explore uh, this uh, path of of waking up to what is so. There are certain, uh, in a sense, laws or characters that uh, uh, are uh, just simple truths, that, in one sense, we have a very much uh, intellectual understanding of. Uh, but uh, they are uh, simple truths uh, that go uh, to the core, uh, the core of our uh, belief system. So traditionally, they're talked about as uh, these three polywords words uh, of anicca, Uh, Dukkha and Anatta, uh, which uh, simply uh, translates as impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, uh, and selflessness. So I'll explore those, and then uh, as we explore those and see that they go down to the core of the kind of belief system, uh, below that there's even a subtler level of these characteristics. So uh, this is from the Sutta Nipata, Uh, it is uh, Ajita's question. What is it, said Ajita, that smothers the world? What makes the world so hard to see? What would you say pollutes the world? What threatens it most? It is ignorance which smothers, said the Master, and it is carelessness and greed which make the world invisible. The hunger of desire pollutes the world, and the great source of fear is the pain of suffering. In every direction, said Ajita, the rivers of desire are running. How can we damn them What will hold them back? What can we use to close the floodgates? Any river can be stopped with the dam of mindfulness, said the Buddha. I call it the flood stopper. And with wisdom, close the floodgates. So our practice here, in many ways, I see the whole... Um, process of retreat as uh, this capacity to uh, kind of, in a sense, uh, you could call it protection, but dam uh, the flow uh, of uh, uh, many kinds of experience are cut out here. Uh, they're actually kept over the hill. all hills in all directions in some way. Uh, Which gives us first of all the container to kind of hold the flood of our thoughts, of our feelings, of uh, our uh, desires and fears. Um, And this practice of mindfulness uh, has the ability to Uh, as the Buddha called it, the the floodgates themselves, as a way to um, uh, modulate and understand without being overwhelmed uh, about what's occurring from moment to moment, Uh, using this uh, practice of... um, this uh, really, uh, this uh, cognizant wakefulness, Uh, this uh, capacity uh, to know, to know what is uh, occurring uh, on a certain level. And then this certain level uh, is actually, we allow ourselves uh, with a sense of steadiness of uh, body, sitting, and uh, walking slowly, and uh, eating mindfully, uh, to begin this process of uh, registering uh, the most simple experiences in the present time. This is a piece from the Dharmapada. Everything is changing. It arises and passes away. The one who realizes this is freed from sorrow. This is the shining. This is the shining. To exist is to know suffering. Realize this and be free from suffering. This is the radiant path. there is no separate self to suffer. The one who understands this is free. This is the path of clarity. So we have this this capacity to have insight into uh, these uh, simple truths uh, and uh, recognize the shining, the radiant. Uh, the clarity. Now, the first of these, uh, this word, anicca, impermanence, is something that uh, probably you have all, um, in some form or another, uh, know intellectually. And even if you don't know the Buddhist teachings, uh, this is something that is uh, prevalent in uh, all kind of ordinary knowledge in some way. But knowing it uh, intellectually uh, is one thing. But our practice here uh, is to allow uh, the mind to begin to subtle, subtly explore a connection between uh, what uh, is thought and also what is believed uh, in some of our assumptions to actually uh, find that uh, connection, that kind of intuitive insight uh, into uh, what's happening. Now, uh, the analogy that... the uh, the Ajita actually uh, gave to the Buddha of the river, uh, I think is uh, helpful in this, in essence, that uh, uh, the nature of our minds uh, is, first of all, it, it's there to kind of keep the organism uh, safe and um, fed and uh, sort of the basics in many ways. Uh, Uh, but it also is to concretize uh, what we experience uh, into uh, something that says that what I'm seeing is, uh, or experiencing or hearing, there is some solidity behind it, uh, some way of making it, uh, in essence, permanent, so that we can feel safe. And our constant, uh, the constant truth is, we come here and and that is our, uh, in essence, how we have trained ourselves. And have been uh, many times uh, that there's confirmations constantly. You know, that things are solid. And uh, uh, we have some way of uh, uh, holding a river that's flowing at uh, incredible speed, and that gives us the illusion of that we're safe. Now, the practices, the purposes, is to um, begin to uh, recognize the what is happening, uh, not in a concretized sense, but in the moment-to-moment experience uh, that ultimately defies uh, the concretizing uh, of what's around us. And because uh, the uh mind's nature is uh, to uh, hold to this uh, single dimension of solidity, that it really is a slow process of, again, experiencing this flow uh, over and over again, uh, until we begin to loosen uh, that uh, sense of uh, solidness in the experience and begin to start naming uh, that uh, this is just a flow. It's just a flux. Uh, It is a river that uh, there is no way you or I Uh, can any way uh, control, in the sense of stopping the flow. We can work with the flow, uh, as the Buddha pointed out, uh, but we cannot stop it. Eventually, uh, everyone in this room, just due to the simple fact uh, that that flow is happening, uh, that uh, your breath uh, will end you uh, as you know uh, your experience, your physical experience here, um, is uh, you are terminal. And so, in a way, that begins to inform. Maybe it informs you in the sense of insight. Uh, At first, uh, it can be Uh, it could be a sense of hopelessness uh, about control and about um, what, uh, uh, you know, why, why, just the flow. But also the Buddha mentions over and over again that once we began to have a relationship, uh, not that we uh, have to see that as the only reality, but that it becomes part of our reality, part of our understanding, part of our view, uh, of how, uh, experience happens. And there is, uh, a brightness, uh, uh to that, uh, that, uh, can become, uh, your great friend. All conditioned things of the world came into my mind, one after another. As they came, they were penetrated and put down. In this way, finally, a knowledge and insight arose. I knew that this was the changeless, the unconditioned. This was freedom. So they talk about these... um, characteristics, the impermanence, the awareness of the unsatisfactoriness or the the, uh, suffering. And that this is uh, simply a process, a selfless process. Uh, That if we um, can learn this uh, over and over again here and uh, begin to Uh, recognize that uh, these uh, specific truths, uh, not in an intellectual way, but actually in a visceral way, where we get it in the body, that we know it from something that uh, is appearing, uh, not as something that happened or something that will happen, but something that's happening right now. Uh, then our recognition of that is that um, uh, freedom uh, is closer than we think. Now, uh, as we begin to explore kind of the flow of experience, uh, we begin to understand that in this flow, this uh, river of experience, that uh, we have a certain nature. And that nature is that we need to somehow, uh, in our experience, uh, hold in that flow uh, or grasp certain things uh, that, uh, as Pascal was speaking of, the other night, the uh, process of uh, recognizing this uh, Vedna, this what is pleasant and unpleasant and that our nature uh, is so simple, you know. At one moment, when it sees something it likes, instead of simply experiencing in the flow of things, it grasps Or there's something that it doesn't like (coughs) and it uh, resists, it moves away from. This is from the Samyutta Nikaya. Uh, is suffering about uh, brought about by myself alone, good Buddha? Asked Kasapa. No Kasapa. Then by another, no Kasapa. Then both together, myself and another, no Kasapa. Then it is brought about by chance, no Kasapa. Then there is no suffering, no Kasapa. <laughs> It is not that there is no suffering, for there is suffering. Well, then perhaps you neither know nor see it, Buddha. It is not that I don't know suffering or don't see it. I know it well and see it. But to my questions, good Buddha, you have answered no, and yet you say you know suffering and see it. Please teach me about it. Kasapa, there are two wrong views. One says that oneself is the entire author of the deed. And all consequent suffering one brings upon oneself, and this is so from the beginning of time. The other says that it is a deed by other people that bring about one's own suffering. You probably know a little of this. You should avoid both views, kasapa Here we teach another way. All deeds, whether your own or another, are conditioned by ignorance. And that is the origin of this whole mass of suffering. By ending that ignorance in yourself and by way of yourself in others, wisdom comes into being and the suffering ceases. So there is this really uh, proper uh, way of exploring uh, conditionality. Uh, things that arise, that we experience, uh, that um, is a complex, uh, complex reality. It's not uh, so simple because uh, the flow is not just an individual flow, it's a collective flow that's happening here. Complicated in that way. And yet our willingness to explore uh, that uh, clutching or that pushing away in us uh, gives us uh, a deeper intuitive insight uh, into how we operate. And that's the basis of the character. It's the basics of this practice, is that we begin to uh, know it, know it in the moment, uh, know what's wise, how these uh, impermanence, how uh, are kind of clutching or pushing away, what they cause. You know. uh, also, the last of these, the, this word anatta, which for, for myself, I know for years, one of the things was in my practice was I got impermanence. And, and suffering was kind of obvious. In many ways. Not that I was had much wisdom around it, but it was, had its own obviousness. But this whole um, uh, inquiry of anatta, of uh, uh, who am I? You know, wh- what am I? How do I arise and pass away over and over again? And is there something here? Uh, in my first years in India, I had this idea somehow in, out of my own culture that there was some fix, some soul, some um, kernel, or, or sometimes it was talked about this, this a sesame seed, something so small, that uh, was... Something that contained uh, all that I am in some way. And the practice was not that we had to, uh, this practice in many ways is a process of not uh, that that was constructed as a belief. No. And this is a process of deconstruction. So deconstructing uh, my uh, sense of. Uh, permanence. Or uh, as youth, it was very permanent. And um, that somehow uh, the suffering uh, came from the outside. It wasn't wasn't me. It was uh, put upon me, but not me. And so it comes to this question, Uh, of, in the practice itself, uh, where is this anatta? Where is this uh, self or selflessness? Or non-self? Or true self, however you want to frame that process. But the process here is deconstructing Uh, what we've built up. And to deconstruct that uh, is simply uh, to um, go back to this flow, this uh, river of experience. And that in any moment right now, what arises uh, is due to causes and conditions. Uh, but uh, when we begin to explore it, uh, looking for some sesame seed or something that that you can rely on. uh, I have no answer for you. This is a, a really, in essence, a process of investigation that comes from this intuitive insight uh, from recognizing the truth of impermanence, of the truth of the, the, the price of the grasping. Uh, This is from uh, one one of my favorite poets, David White. We shall not be here. Heaven has been promised in great detail. Beyond this silence, we shall not be here to find it. And that, my friend, is a great joy. Another, this poem, a prayer flag. This poem, a prayer flag, almost written, then gone. The wind, I cannot touch it, the self, I cannot touch it, arises due to these momentarily due to these causes, conditions. And we each, in our own way, uh, that these can't be answered. I cannot answer from up here. I cannot answer these things for you. All I can do is to point, to say, uh, look closely. No. Look very, very closely at what's happening. No. Not yesterday, not tomorrow. But what's happening here? And how is it held? What's its nature? You know, what's true for you? So these are the, uh, the kind of traditional uh, I can't really think of a word of the obvious of the obvious, uh, the obvious uh, truths, these three characteristics. Now, I want to go to a deeper level here, and this deeper level is a, uh, actually a whole in some ways, a whole nother ball game to introduce here. And I want to start with a story um, that uh, some of you or many of you have heard it has to do, when I was a child, and um, I lived in uh, Central America, and um, my family had a little factory there, and, and um, I've only seen pictures of her I went to look for once, uh, uh, a woman uh, that was not my mother. Who was uh, a Mayan who loved me deeply, and out of that uh, culture um, uh, gave me uh, security in many ways and uh, when I was four, there was a revolution. my father had a little factory there it got burned down and We took one of those old DC 3s to Mexico City, and then from Mexico City, uh, we flew to my grandparents' house in um, Kansas. And when we arrived there, um, whatever happened, uh, I stopped speaking. So I always joke and say, you know, this was my first silent retreat, (laughs) you know, Uh, and it lasted for a year. And later, we moved to uh, Lexington, Kentucky, and uh, my parents were kind of muffed by what was going on and um, uh, The psychiatrist psychologist at the time uh, thought I was an autistic child, so I was put in a school for autism um, where I, I, I didn 't speak and um, Held whatever uh, my pain was uh, deep down. And in holding that pain, uh, which was uh, something that uh, eventually, just to tell you uh, after a year of this, how I came out of it uh, was I hit a kid because I got angry, you know, and because kids made fun of me. I didn't speak. And so suddenly that life force came back, and it came th- through anger. That's all I can remember going back over and over again and, and uh, uh, different therapies and stuff. I don't remember much else, uh, what the sort of trauma that created it. But I was, well I don't know, maybe I'm a little autistic, but anyway I know I'm <laughs> dyslexic and a few other things, uh, which you may have figured out by now. But <laughs> but. Uh, In the pain of that, uh, over the years, uh, it has taught me something fundamental uh, about how we experience things. And it has to do with language. You know, uh, so much of how we work is that uh, we label everything around us. So basically, we impute our... uh, Uh, association on objects, uh, name and form. And we do that constantly. And so we stay, in a way, um, in a constant uh, swirl uh, of association uh, through language. Now, what we're doing here is we're actually challenging the very fundamentals of our thought process. We're trying to get under it to very, uh, the very truth of what's uh, not thought, what's not thinking, what's actually uh, here before, before, before. Uh, the purity of that... um, Oh, it's razzle-dazzle. You know, it's razzle-dazzle. We, uh, through our labeling and imputing, uh, make up so much about every experience. And I'm not saying that's not true. What I'm saying is that it's limiting. Uh, That there's uh, more here uh, that is uh, about your freedom. Uh, About what... uh, When it all gets reduced... What, what exactly is here? Now, from this uh, view is that we uh, begin to, as we impute our experience on things, uh, we kind of miss, uh, sometimes, our, the fundamental or basic truths. Now, what I'm going to go into here is, is called the three subtle characteristics. Uh, One is called sunyata, uh, which simply translates, I would like to translate as as the knowing or cognizant emptiness. There's the knowing of uh, the the purity of uh, uh, not holding or labeling things. Uh, there's also a word uh, uh, ta ta ta, or ta ta ta, uh, which simply translates as suchness. And then the third of these is a word called atamayata, uh, which uh, is, there's, uh, I, there are a few translations anyway. Prior to subject object. Uh, sort of prior to the duality, uh, not made of that, not consisting of that. So we have first, and I I like to link these up, because as the mind begins to uh, recognize the flow, in the sense of uh, really uh, when the mind and body are connected, and there's an awareness of the impermanent flow of experience, only here exists in that. Just here. Uh, In that, even in that, uh, what's here from a, um, I could say, an absolute point of view, what is at the bottom of all that impermanent phenomena, what's what's under it, uh, is uh, that what, uh, when we're beyond the language, of needing to um, formulate it in some fashion, that there is uh, this purity that releases it all. It releases it all. But it knows it. So that's why I use the word cognizant. Cognizant emptiness. You know, it is something that is known. Um, Now, one of the complications here with this particular uh, aspect is has a tendency to um, be in denial. So you can say, "Oh, uh, this is you know I'm sitting here and I can see the flow of impermanence, all this stuff. Oh, it's really just empty, no? And so, in saying it's empty, uh, may be incorrect. Uh, Because it it sort of falls more towards uh, a nihilistic view in the sense of um, uh, denying what's here. So we have to be careful with that. Now on the other side of this is when we really uh, explore kind of the clinging that happens in our minds to experience, you know, and the pushing away of experience which we know causes us uh, this discomfort, this dis-ease, this uh, suffering, Uh, that uh, it also speaks of um, uh, uh, the truth of what's here. Uh, The word uh, that is used, this ta-ta-ta, the suchness of it, well the suchness says this is exactly the way it is. You know, it says yes to the world. You know, uh, the bees uh, on the flowers, out there just buzzing away, and the turkeys and the grass and the moon and the, that uh, sunset last night. There's the suchness of it. It says yes, here. Again, it could be uh, misconstrued and taken to uh, that um, uh, saying yes to everything, uh, that uh, that kind of uh, excitement somewhat dismissing can happen. And the practice here, it's uh, really simply called uh, the Middle Way. Uh, this um, year before last, I one of the things I had to do for myself was go. I was in India for a year, and, and um, I went uh, to study. I, I sat probably a third of the time, but uh, one of the things I wanted to do was uh, sit and Uh, start exploring, and one of these things was emptiness and suchness. You know, how is that held? And so, um, it was a a wonderful experience of, um, and most of this was in Tibetan, uh, uh, kind of, I guess you could say scholarly uh, work, uh, where in the morning I would go and I would, uh, there's a treatise on the middle way by Nargajuna, which is principally uh, in many ways quite boring and repetitive over and over again about emptiness. You know? uh, but it wasn't so much about uh, the learning of that kind that there had to be something, there was the sort of uh, intellectual side of it, but there was this part of how to hold Uh, when we know from a practice's point of view that uh, we need to question. uh, This is a a process of um, of, um, refining uh, our view in some way. Uh, In refining that view uh, to look at Uh, that there is uh, that of being caught, uh, caught up, uh, thinking itself caught up. And then there is this possibility, uh, this possibility uh, that when uh, with a, uh, this middle way, this proper way of holding one's experience, Uh, that there is the relative experience of it that we can study and get to know. But as we get to know it, then there is also the awareness uh, that freedom itself is not separate from that. It's not somewhere else. It's actually right here. It's in your experience. And though uh, when Pascal was talking about uh, this, uh, the truth of Vedana, uh, that uh, pleasantness is there, unpleasantness is there, uh, our getting to know how it works in us, uh, how we uh, grab and push away, and how there are moments where uh, there is uh, non-pleasantness and non-unpleasantness. And that the practice that the Buddha, uh, that he was pointing at something that was so simple and was so right here, uh, that it took uh, learning how to dam the river and how to, in a sense, uh, uh, control, in some ways, Uh, the, uh, the outflow, of the mind itself, so that we began to narrow the stream down so that we could see in that narrowness that there is a place in the center here. Uh, And it's happening a lot. The thing is, we're so attached, we're so hung up uh, on this experiential belief that somehow pleasantness will bring us happiness, a sensual experience of pleasantness, if we can keep it long enough that that's it. And that if we can learn uh, through our, uh, um, our discipline and our strength and our uh, capacity to move away from the unpleasant, we will be happy. And the practice is seeing that these uh, these wonderful attempts that you make uh, is a battle you do with yourself. And that when you finally, in some ways, you tire out enough, you relax. You see that somehow, those avenues uh, are only more entanglement. So you begin to notice that in a moment when uh, one actually um, recognizes that there is just the suchness, the isness of this, the emptiness of this, you know not to an extreme, it's a middle of holding that in some way, that who we think we are, uh, how it is, is completely relaxed, no question. But what is noticed is that uh, this simple recognition that we don't split off with the object. We don't go for an object, internal or external. There's this atamayata, this uh, not there with the object. Uh, This uh, neither subject nor object, self or other. And that uh, moments that we notice that, they don't have to be big things at all. they very, actually, it's very simple things. Uh, that we notice certain qualities that are there when uh, that complete, in a sense, abandonment of entanglement exists. And in that moment, one begins to recognize a simple thing called peace. It's not, um, in some ways, it's not anything. It can't be anything. But we know it as um, when we stop interfering. And when we stop interfering, there is also uh, in that ability of the emptiness just simply says, I'm letting go, I'm letting go, I'm letting go. And the suchness is saying, you know, uh, this, is, uh, this is radiant, this is bright, uh, this is uh, peace. It wasn't different. It was always there. It was always with you. Not even next to you. And so we study these. Uh, Sometimes when things get kind of chaotic, we uh, look at the uh, impermanence and see how it's affecting us. Then we'll look at a time, there'll be a subtlety of mind here, and uh, we will see the uh, that uh, we made it up with these words. We're making up so much. You know, maybe all of it. You have to ask that, find out. And then... If you can, completely relax. You know. And uh, recognize that this uh, kind of co- cognizant wakefulness uh, is your birthright. Uh, it is who you are. And I could joke and say it's not, not what you're pretending to be. You know, for images of yourself and others, you know, but actually, kind of your true face. Uh, this is uh, just uh, kind of a confirmation before I end here. And this is from uh, the Venerable Ajahn Chah. Therefore, the Buddha has us look at our minds. What exists in the beginning, truly not Anything. This emptiness does not arise and die with phenomena. When contacting something good, it does not become good. When contacting something bad, it does not become bad. The pure mind knows these objects clearly, knows that they are not substantial. the many layers balanced on the head of a pin falling to one side grasping thin thought dragging it along in this river of time last night sunset lighting up the silhouettes of the yogis glued to a moment in time where did you learn say that sunset was better than this? Who taught you this was a solid world? Who taught you holding on tighter would work? Who taught you, you of all people, to be so special, defying the laws of birth and death? Clouds are covering the sun today. But does that mean the sun is not shining? Let's just sit for a moment.